The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Master Hakuin's chant and praise of Zazen. From the very beginning, all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water, crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds and the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and pass clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three, straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form, and going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, and our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. Today is Friday, 31st of July, 2020, and this is our fourth and final Taisho for our four-day online session. And we're going to take up a passage today called, With Total Trust, Rome and Play in Samadhi. I'll just start off by reading the whole thing. With total trust, roam and play in samadhi. Empty and desireless, cold and thin, simple and genuine, this is how to strike down and fold up the remaining habits of many lives. When the stains from old habits are exhausted, the original light appears, blazing through your skull, not admitting any other matters. Vast and spacious, like sky and water merging during autumn, like snow and moon having the same colour, this field is without boundary, 
beyond direction, magnificently one entity without edge or seam. Further, when you turn within and drop off everything completely, realization occurs. Right at the time of entirely dropping off, deliberation and discussion are 1,000 or 10,000 miles away. Still, no principle is discernible. So what could there be to point to or explain? People with the bottom of the bucket falling out immediately find total trust. So we are told simply to realize mutual response and explore mutual response. Then turn around and enter the world. Roam and play in samadhi. Every detail clearly appears before you. Sound and form, echo and shadow, happen instantly without leaving traces. The outside and myself do not dominate each other, only because no perceiving of objects comes between us. Only this non-perceiving encloses the empty space of the Dharma realm's majestic 10,000 forms. People with the original face should embody, embody and fully investigate the field without neglecting a single fragment. Empty and desireless, cold and thin, simple and genuine, this is how to strike down and fold up the remaining habits of many lives. Empty and desireless. Emptiness here means no agendas, no axe to grind. And desireless, not expecting a particular result from our practice with some kind of payoff. Yesterday we were talking about how our longing for happiness brings us to practice. And, and uh, Angel Kyoto Williams was pointing out that this longing, even if it's just for per personal happiness, comes from a deep place in us. It, it comes out of the urge for self-realization, for self-completion. We could say for, for inner and outer freedom. And this is where we start and it's what gets us on the mat, uh, but we don't stop there. If we, if we practice wholeheartedly, then at a certain point, the divisions between inner and outer self and other begin to break down. So we we can be we can let this this um, basic desire for happiness, freedom from suffering, to get us to the Dharma and onto the mat, and into Sishin. But then once we're sitting, then to set aside everything except the practice.
because our expectations for a particular outcome reinforce uh, our sense of separation, our sense of lack, of um, this notion that we have that we um, need to acquire something from somewhere. To be um, completely desireless, of course, is a, is a, a lofty state. Uh, it's one that we we can aspire to, though, and and we practice it moment by moment when we're sitting to let go and let go and let go to to give up all our narratives around I and me and mine give up all our neediness and then off the mat it's what Norman Fisher was describing yesterday he was talking about uh, cultivating altruism in our relationships in part this this impulse to practice altruism comes out of our seeing because we've seen it in ourselves we can see in that everyone longs for happiness and ease and shrinks from suffering and difficulty and not just human beings but all beings and so we we practice as much as we can generosity and kindness honesty and all the virtues not just because we're, we're told to, but because we see how these virtues are the path. They, they, they mold our minds. At the, at the same time as we engage in, in this, we don't want to fall into perfectionism that is feeling guilty that we don't act like bodhisattvas all the time in fact quite the opposite we, we can persist in particular habits of, of, of narrow self-interest self-preoccupation fear of loss All kinds of all kinds of things. As long as we're we're unclear about the nature of the self, then we will be we will be prey to these things. Empty and desireless, cold and thin. What I think hunger uh, means here is not emotionally cold, but cool-headed, equanimous, we could maybe say. Uh, not swayed by um, what has been termed subjective emotional consciousness. 
in other words, uh, our likes and dislikes, our personal preferences. Pointing to the same thing as the third ancestor in affirming faith in mind. The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. Cold and thin. Again, I don't think this is um, thin in, in contrast to, to fat so much as it is maybe in contrast to, to thick. Seems to be talking about being permeable, not not insulated from the sufferings of the world. Receptive. Simple and genuine. To be honest without guile. Straightforward. Empty and desireless, cold and thin, simple and genuine, this is how to strike down and fold up the remaining habits of many lives. There's a lovely image here, to strike down and fold up the habits of many lives. The, the language suggests um, tense. In other words, temporary abodes, places we, we inhabit but that can be broken down and, and put away because they're not our true home. When I was still in school, um, I got the chance to participate in a couple of productions by a, a local professional theatre company. Um, and I was really struck by what happened at the end of this, the season. It's quite short, two or three weeks or something like that. Um, a huge amount of work had gone into the production and the rehearsals and the costumes and the set. And then... At the very end of the last show, um, right after the, the uh, curtain had dropped, so to speak, it was all hands on deck, to, just in staying as late as, as necessary, to completely break everything down. It was necessary to do this in order to be ready for putting on the next play that would be start to be constructed and, and set up the following day. Now, also think of those um, wonderful um, sand mandalas that um, certain schools of, of Vajrayana Buddhism construct. At the end, this, this beautiful, colourful, intricate creation is swept away. Sands um, poured into a local river. What a teaching that is. 
if we if we don't let go of of the old, then there's no room for the new. It's one of the reasons why this period, this pandemic period, is so full of potential. So many things, so many ordinary ways of doing things are breaking down, and there's enormous opportunity in this for change, for transformation of society. Of course, there's also lots of lots of danger in it, but if people can um, appreciate um, what has been really of value, what has been um, important during this period, then um, perhaps there could be a, a, a great shift in values across the world. When the stains from old habits are exhausted, the original light appears, blazing through your skull, not admitting any other matters. Uh, reading, reading this sentence about the light blazing through your skull um, is reminded of um, the story of Jill Balty Taylor. This was about 15 years ago. Um, she is a brain anatomist and she had a massive stroke one day as she was about to go to work and um, the, the left side of her her brain was was flooded by this hemorrhage and her inner monologue so to speak complete became completely silent she nor could she speak and um, she recounts how her mind was suffused with light and bliss and expansiveness because of this, this silencing of her um, inner voices. Of course, this is only a, a, a partial analogy because she's also very sick and um, managed, managed to get herself to hospital. But it's pointing out that our bright mind is something that needs to be revealed, not something we need to acquire from elsewhere, something we can uncover. Usually we only get little glimpses of this um, silent, bright mind, but the glimpses can give us the, the um, faith to um, keep on practicing so that we can more and more live out of that light, that original light. Vast and spacious, like sky and water merging during autumn, like snow and moon having the same color, this field is without boundary, beyond direction, magnificently one entity without edge or seam. Some people may have experienced this of being down at the water's edge on a 
on a cloudy gray day um, with some with some early morning mist and not being able to tell where the sea ends and the sky begins. It's quite a, a strange feeling we get from um, there not being a horizon. It, it, it feels as if the world has no edges. I have a, a similar kind of experience waking up to a heavy snowfall. There's both this, this wonderful quiet, everything muffled, and at the same time blanketed, completely blanketed in white. Hongzhou intensifies the second image with bringing the moon into it, like snow and moon having the same color. White on white. It's also playing here with with uh, sameness and difference. Both the, both the snow and the moon, um, same in their in their whiteness but also different. After all, it's the snow is the snow and the moon is the moon. This is a kind of recurring theme within Zen literature. How do, how do um, talk about sameness and difference? Another example uh, the crane, the white crane among the reeds. Uh, reeds have, have white flowers, so again it's an image of white on white. Or in one of the columns, um, snow in a silver bowl. This field is without boundary beyond direction, magnificently one entity without edge or seam. To experience seamlessness in our ordinary lives. Lack of, lack of obstruction, nothing getting in the way of anything else. In the uh, Hikigam Roku, um, there's um, a case about the the emperor asking the national teacher, "What should we do with you after you die?" And the, and the natural national teacher says, "Build me a seamless monument." We could um, understand. Our zazen is this, building a seamless monument, breaking down the barriers, the blockages, the, the barriers. Further, when you turn within and drop off everything completely, 
realization occurs. This this um, image of everything dropping off was one that was taken up by Dogen. Also, it appears um, in uh, in his account of his own awakening experience and elsewhere. Turn within and drop off everything completely. To take these as as pretty good um, Zazen instructions. To turn the light of the mind back on itself. To sh- to shine it on whatever's there and release it all. Hangzhou says, when you turn within and drop off everything completely. Realization occurs. Sometimes um, within the Soto school, it seems like um, realization or or awakening is is. Um, uh, not exactly a dirty word, but a, a taboo word. But it's clear from Hongzhou, going back to the source, that um, this is a part of um, Shikantaza, silent illumination, just as, as it is a part of other practices. Culmination of of other practices. Right at the time of entirely dropping off, deliberation and discussion are 1,000 or 10,000 miles away. dropping off. This is this is releasing our attachment attachments to all forms, all sensations, all perceptions, all our mental states, even dualistic consciousness this is the this is the five skandhas the the constituents of our experience or as um, the, the Tibetans call them the perishing collection skanda means heap and we can we can think of these these elements the mind elements of the mind and the body um, as sand dunes which are constantly shifting bits of sand being blown off one onto the other the the uh, shapes of the the dunes changing as the wind blows.
beginning of the Heart Sutra, we, we recite Bodhisattva of compassion from the depths of prajna wisdom saw the emptiness of all five skandhas and sundered the bonds that cause all suffering. This the teaching is to let go of, of these um, perishing aspects of mind and body. Again, it can sound pretty daunting. We read right at the time of entirely dropping off deliberation and discussion are 1,000 or 10,000 miles away. Well, you may think, how will we ever get to a place of entirely dropping off all of this, the body and the mind? Well, every time we uh, let go of some mental formation, an unkind thought or a um, jealousy or, or uh, some pettiness of one kind or another or every time we manage to not cling to something that is pleasant fantasy or, or image story every time we do this we're training ourselves in freedom we're weakening those habitual pathways in the mind, creating new grooves. You could say that um, it does need to be this, this dropping off entirely, but that, that realization happens little by little and then also sometimes suddenly it's like um, it's like a glacier that, that slowly melts and then as it melts bit by bit it reaches a point where it suddenly carves a massive iceberg gradual and sudden Right at the time of entirely dropping off, deliberation and discussion are a thousand or ten thousand miles away. So this mo this moment of entirely dropping off, this moment of realization, there's no place for words, no discrimination. No deliberation, no discussion. In the in the Tao Te Ching, it says, "The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name." Well, here's what a, a Song Dynasty poet Yang Wan Li said. Now, what is poetry? If you say it is simply a matter of words, 
I will say a good poet gets rid of words. If you say it is simply a matter of meaning, I will say a good poet gets rid of meaning. But, you ask, without words and without meaning, where is the poetry? To this I reply, get rid of words and get rid of meaning and still there is poetry. Right at the time of entirely dropping off, deliberation and discussion are 1,000 or 10,000 miles away. Still, no principle is discernible. So what could there be to point to or to explain? Any, any explanation would diminish that seamless, boundless field. He says, no, no principle is discernible. What if life and death had no meaning? If there, if there is no principle that we can extract from things and hold up. What if life and death were the meaning? People with the bottom of the bucket fallen out immediately find total trust. This uh, image of the uh, bottom of the bucket falling out is one that comes up in, in Zen literature quite often. It's talking about when, when all our preconceptions and opinions views about the world which are necessarily limited uh, completely fall away like the like the bottom of a of a of a bucket falling out suddenly whatever's in that bucket whatever liquid is um, escapes it's no longer confined by the the walls and bottom of that of that vessel probably a, a wooden bucket made of made of slats the kind of con construction where the, the the bottom would be a separate piece so once the bucket bucket got shaky it could it could in fact fall out people of the with the bottom of the bucket fallen out immediately find total trust What's he talking about here? Total trust. <clears throat> 
Isn't that what we long for? So many of us feel feel a lot of the opposite. Lack of trust, sense of of insecurity, of of um, shakiness in our in our relationship to ourselves and to others, and we long to trust ourselves, to trust have trust in our world in spite of all its stupidity and injustice and violence and cruelty and suffering. Or perhaps we, we, we may long for to have trust in, in our God if we believe in a God. People with the bottom of the bucket fallen out immediately feel total trust. You might think it would be the other way around, that if the bottom of your bucket fell out, you might feel more insecure. But what makes us feel insecure is our the way in which we cling to our sense of self. Even when that sense is negative, when we cling to a sense of being hopeless or unlovable or um, lacking. And we, we're so afraid that our self-image might be damaged or our actual physical self. But if all our ideas about our, our physical self, our personality, the world, others, all of those things fall away, then what remains? What is there to be threatened? So we are told simply to realize mutual response and explore mutual response, then turn around and enter the world. Mutual response, to realize mutual response and explore mutual response. I'm guessing that Angja here is referring to the this, this central teaching of Buddhism of dependent co-arising. The, the shortest formulation of, of something that developed into very complex teachings in early Buddhism, but the shortest um, description, this comes from the Pali Suttas, um, this is the Buddha talking, this being that becomes, from the arising of this that arises, this not being, that becomes not. From the ceasing of this, that ceases. So he's talking about um, 
the way in which our whole world is um, a vast web of interconnectedness and interdependence. And, and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh also says intersupport. This being that becomes. The arising of this, from the arising of this, that arises. This not being, that becomes not. From the ceasing of this, that ceases. We have had such a lesson in the last few months uh, in regard to dependent co-arising. I think especially of how our economies work. We've seen just to what degree and this is nothing new and we, we, we just just ignore it. But how precarious everything is. What a house of cards our wealth is, our ease, our, our ways of, of operating. Just to see how, how um, the whole world could be turned upside down by this disease. When, when it first struck, when it was um, just spreading in Wuhan, I was reminded of a, of a Zen saying, um, which uh, goes something like this. Um, when, when horses in Shanghai eat grain, uh, cows in um, uh, Canton get fat. When when um, someone in Wuhan gets sick, a forestry worker in New Zealand loses her job. That was the first effect that we we um, felt um, within the pandemic was when um, China shut down. I guess it was in February or so. Um, many of their um, much of their manufacturing in order to um, stop the spread of the virus and suddenly the normal shipments of New Zealand timber to China um, were completely halted and suddenly all these people in Tairawhiti, Gisborne area in the east coast of the North Island didn't have any work so interconnected we discover that what we think of as being other is, is what our self depends on when one person gets sick we're all sick this was the, the insight of Villamakirti the great laid bodhisattva when others are sick, I am sick, he said. So we are told simply to realize mutual response and explore mutual response, then turn around and enter the world. To, to study dependent co-arising, to um, appreciate its, its existential meaning for us, 
then to turn around and enter the world. To enter the world with helping hands, as it says in the last ox herding picture. To to respond, to become a a positive force within this web of interconnectedness that we all depend on. This web of interdependence and intersupport. Hongzhou says, roam and play in samadhi. All different kinds of samadhis. But here he seems to be pointing to uh, the samadhi of joining with the things of the world. What um, Sekida says calls positive samadhi in contrast to absolute samadhi. Absolute samadhi connotes um, dwelling in in emptiness. But here he seems to be pointing to this other aspect of samadhi, joining with with, um, our ordinary lives. So this is is an apt instruction for this our last day of Sashin. Soon we're all going to be uh, turning around and entering the world. He says, roam and play in Samadhi. This is a reference to something Mumon says in his um, commentary on the Koan Mu at the beginning of the Mumon Khan. He talks about moving about in a Samadhi of innocent delight. We can all um, find this this sense of innocent delight. Every detail clearly appears before you. Sound and form, echo and shadow happen instantly without leaving leaving traces. He is talking about here about um, our senses with a a clear, empty mind. Then every detail appears clearly. How our mind is, that is the world we will experience. Every detail clearly appears before you. Sound and form, echo and shadow happen instantly without leaving traces. The image sometimes for this non-traces is a bird flying through the sky. No residue, no um, muddying. The outside and myself do not dominate each other only because no perceiving of objects comes between us. 
In other words, um, not favouring self over other, this over that. No perceiving of objects comes between us. Only this non-perceiving encloses the empty space of the Dharma realm's majestic 10,000 forms. You could say only this non-perceiving encompasses everything in the universe. People with the original face should embody and fully investigate the field without neglecting a single fragment. People with the original face. That's us. It's a wonderful way of, of addressing people that Hongzhou has, has come to here because no one is let off the hook. We're all people with the original face. It's our birthright, this original face. We all have it. It's a kind of original perfection, a light that's always shining, that blazes forth when you give it half a chance. People with the original face should embody and fully investigate the field without neglecting a single fragment should embody and fully investigate we're brought back at the end of this passage to wonder to our question what is this who am I and how did I get here what is Mo? Virginia Woolf uh, wrote something about this. She says, I used to feel this as a child. Once I remember I couldn't step across a puddle for thinking... How strange. What am I? What is it? Shall I die before I find it? Then, as I was walking through Russell Square last night, I see the mountains in the sky, the great clouds, and the moon which has, riven, has risen over Persia. I guess that would be the east. I have a great and astonishing sense of something there, which is it. It is not exactly beauty that I mean. It is that the thing in itself is enough, satisfactory, achieved. The sense of my own strangeness walking on the earth is there too, of the infinite, of the infinite oddity of the human position. 
trotting along Russell Square with the moon up there and those mountain clouds. Who am I? What am I? These questions are always floating about in me. And then I bump up against some exact fact, a letter, a person, and I come to them again with a great sense of freshness. And so it goes on. But this showing, which is true, I think, I do fairly frequently come upon it and then feel quite at rest. Who am I? What is this? We'll finish now just with a... We'll give Master Hakuan the last word uh, before we recite the vows. And uh, this, this, uh, these words of Master Hakuan, in some ways, they're very um, up-to-date. They, they resonate with, with us and what we know about now about cosmology and, and um, microbiology. And just as a footnote, he mentions Mount Sumeru, which is a vast mountain said to be at the center of the world in Buddhist cosmology. Here's what Master Hakuin says. A million Mount Sumeros are but a drop of dew on the end of a single hair. Three thousand worlds are only a seagull floating on the ocean's waves. The two children of the tiny creatures in the eyebrow of a mosquito never stop quarrelling between themselves as to whose earth this is. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain.
The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.